Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good day, Internet. It's Monday, November 25th, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, I've got a two-for-one proposition for you. For the first half of our show, we've got an interview with Harebrained Schemes' Mitch Gittleman, where we talk about the past and future of Battletech and his own past and future in the games industry. And then in the second half, Austin and I are going to discuss our experiences with the latest Battletech expansion, Heavy Metal, and talk about where we're at with that franchise in light of my interview with Mitch. Uh, but first, let's get to that interview. Last month, I attended Paradox Interactive's PDXCon 2019 in Berlin at Paradox's invitation and at their expense for travel and lodging. Uh, you may have already heard our interview with Paradox Design Director Johan Andersen. Mitch was also there promoting the heavy metal expansion for Battletech, but we had a chance to discuss where he's at right now in a long career that has taken him from FASA to Microsoft to Paradox and a lot of places in between. Just overall, where Battletech stands right now uh, yes, as a yeah. franchise, as IP? Uh, I would say that it's gotten a resurgence, yeah. which is really cool. If you look, the board game guys are here from Catalyst, yeah. and, uh, and they've just started putting out all new Battletech stuff, new board games, new stuff. There was a giant Kickstarter for them, too, so I'm excited for them. I'm excited for board game people, you know? That's yeah. where we started, right? And so, with Battletech also, I mean, we're sort of servicing this long-time audience, this 35-year audience, but a lot of people that I'm meeting have never heard of Battletech. So it's kind of fun also for them, I think, to play a sort of modern tactical game that has a shit ton of lore to it, too. Yeah. Sort of like 200 novels and stuff like that. So I think people are really enjoying that part of it, too, you know? Uh, one thing I'm curious about, because I was a Battletech guy when I was growing up, cool. right? um, is that... Like, what you were showing yesterday looked cool. Like, yeah. new mechs, right. new weapon systems, right, right, right. special abilities on mechs. Yeah. But also, it did remind me of something that I think became attention within Battletech over the years, which is you always have to keep expanding, you have to keep evolving. Right. And so you end up with, like, kind of broken power curves, you end sure. up with, like, gimmick stuff. And yeah. how do you, like, balance that tension between, I have to keep this game fresh, I have to keep it evolving, mm-hmm. but also there's a point where, like, probably things need to be left as they are or things need to be careful? Um, well, first, we are careful, but yeah. we're, what we're not is timid, yeah. right? Uh, that's how you ruin a franchise, being timid with it. Instead, the most important thing is to be respectful of it. Like, you're recording this, but like, uh, I've always want, I always wanted to make a Star Wars game up until episode one. Yeah. And then it's like, I'm totally uninterested in this anymore. And I'm seeing The Force Awakens and all that shit, but it's sort of like, yeah, it's part of pop, pop. I'm no longer that. You never went back to where it was. Yeah, I, it, it doesn't it's, it doesn't have my heart anymore yeah. the way it used to. With Battletech, you know, um, that's why, like, all the new special equipment we're putting on all these mechs is all designed to reinforce the lore. 
right? Yeah. So if you read the novels and you've read about the Marauder and what its role, it's like, okay, we're trying to get that back. So that's what I mean by not being timid. Yeah. It's like, it's no, this is respect. This is what this, you know, this is how this is supposed to feel. This is how we always wished it would feel. We, at least, yeah. you know, the design team. This is the way we always wished it would feel. So I think that's how we're doing it. And then there's that coil beam, if you remember. And that's sort one. kinetic energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laser. Right? Yeah. And here, now we give some more use to light mechs so that they're more valuable later in the game. You know? Yeah. So I consider that service. Now, I'm curious, how obligated are you to hew closely to the canon built over the years? Because like, one of the things I know I'm not contractually is, obligated, yeah. if that's what... No, 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 no. But here's the thing. You know who Phil Spencer is, right? Yeah. All right. Phil's a great guy, for real, in real life. He's just this great guy. And we were talking at lunch one day, because, you know, I, I was a long-time Microsoft guy. And after I founded Hairbrain Schemes, he, uh, he and I were talking. He's like, you guys are stewards of this franchise you're stewards of Shadowrun and I never worry about you and that's I guess one of the reasons why there's no contractual obligation we just think of it as I don't know our our role you know it's just part of uh, the mantle it's like okay we're Battletech developers therefore we should behave like Battletech developers as opposed to uh, some people that make superhero movies that maybe, yeah. you know, that's it's that kind of thing. You know, I take this shit too seriously. We take it too seriously. But one thing that sort of struck me as I was playing the Battletech campaign, for instance, is like it's recognizably using the same setting, the yeah. same period as right. twenty five, right, right, right. twenty eight, uh, yes, before the fourth. All the great houses exist. Yeah, but what was interesting was. I remember, because I actually went back and I read the Stackpole Warrior trilogy yeah, yeah. a long ago. And it's amazing how much back then Battletech was very much like uh, House Davian are the good guys. Right, right, and right. House Lau are these mustache twirling villains. Yeah. And what's really interesting is like the Battletech game you guys made isn't quite so uh, Manichaean, I suppose, yeah, yeah. in terms of how it depicts sides. And also it's a little more like, critical of the Great Houses in general. We think of it as Game of Thrones in space in yeah. a lot of ways. It predates Game of Thrones, by the way. So, but uh, but I'm curious, like, to what degree do you view some of those like old story beats as like open to reinterpretation or revision as you go? Well, they did get reinterpreted in a way because if, later on, yeah, Davian was the good guys, but then later on there were novels and things like that yeah. that they were you know they were on the other side and you were looking at it from a different perspective you know as instead of the vanquisher it was the vanquished and seeing it from their perspective and for us and same thing for Shadowrun you know we see things as what if this was real these are real human beings you know it stories can't be black and white even our story which is pretty black and white the story of command her yeah. uncle it's pretty black and yet no we still put nuance in and she's wrong during the story and she learns really hard lessons so i just think of that as a gentle modern update just very gentle just wait a minute our point of view versus the 80s yeah. you know has to evolve the world is way more connected than it was back then and we have to take other people's points of view into it and that's our worldview at Hairbrain Schemes. It's important to us, you know, not to represent, but to, we're humanists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not just like, ah, must, we can't do mustache swirling. It just doesn't work for us. You have that context of like, you worked at Microsoft Games during like a pivotal period. I worked, dude, one day, 
one day I should show you because when I do speeches and stuff like that, you know, I I, yeah. I do public speaking a lot. When I put up the slides of here's what I've done and here are the roles I've had, it's really stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like because I've been in startups and indies and megacorps and uh, and now this sort of paradox thing is fascinating. I've been a publisher. I'm sorry, I yeah. didn't get to your I just think it's fascinating well, yeah, how many that, different... That's kind of the context for... The perspective's fascinating. Yeah, and where you're at now yeah. in terms of... Uh, honestly, this is kind of just a more reflective question, yeah. but like in terms of where you're at right now, is like, is this sort of the best destination you've had in games or how I'm really glad you have I really appreciate that question here's the answer because I know the answer because it happened to me once we sold the company to Paradox right we were going through and of course there are growing pains that happen whenever you join companies together that happens and I'm like and I was just thinking what do I want what do I want I'm laying in bed one night and like I gotta decide what my future is and about Three in the morning, I go, I know exactly what my future is. This is exactly what I'm looking for. This is what I've always been looking for. I have a studio filled with people that I interviewed every single person in the studio, right? Um, You know, every single person is handpicked, right? That's a big deal because I've inherited a lot of teams and I've had to blend different teams. And that is nuts. So we have a culture that we created from scratch. Everybody in it is handpicked. Now we have a stable platform from with which to make games with Paradox. We've got these business people. We've got marketing people. We've got, you know, all sorts of really smart people there that really understand what collaboration is yeah. and want to do it. And so this is singularly the best part of my entire career right now. And I'm turning 55 and I feel like, oh, autumn is awesome. <laughs> You know right. what I mean? It's really cool. It's like, oh, shit, the leaves are falling and it smells great. And this is me right now. So, yeah, you hit me at just the right time. In terms of your approach to that, like, on the one hand, you, like, clearly yesterday, for instance, you're not the lead designer on New Battletech. Oh, no. Kind of, like, the stuff falls to the, the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to yeah. people junior to you. I'm curious, how do you balance that um, role between, like, one of the things that always impressed me is, like, Sid Meier did, right? Yeah. With step back and, like, cultivate talent yes. but don't necessarily yes. be like parachuting in other people's projects yes. how do you walk that line like what's the line between like clearly you love this shit oh, yeah. clearly you enjoy weighing yes. in but also you gotta let your team grow and run and develop yeah, and so, so how do you walk that line well luckily over 25 years of this I've learned how to do it wrong okay. <laughs> right before I was a game developer I was a management trainer right so I've got this perspective of that so here's how I do it it's pretty simple the way to truly empower people to do their best work is to talk about the goals. This is what we're trying to accomplish this. This is why. This is what we hope to get out of it. You know, here are the pillars of the game, and here are why, you know. How do you handle those? Like, this comes up in writing all the time, the whole, like, kill your darlings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that is cool, and it's very cool, and it was a, it's a good idea, but there's something about it that's just not quite coming together. And I'm curious, like, how you... Because I've spent a million down, dollars on a yeah. game and cut it. Spent a million dollars on a game and cut it. This isn't right. That yeah. happened. Yeah, fun. And there was a lot of good stuff there. It just yeah, the, yeah, the work is fantastic. As a matter of fact, we've had features. You know, it's like, this is good work. You know, I see your design thing here. I see whatever. It's just not coming together right. And we're running out of time and we can't get it. Maybe in an update or something like that, we'll get it. But we're cutting yeah. it. And the team, because of the way they've... Because of the people we've hired and because of the training... 
and because we're all goal oriented, yeah. they're just very production minded. Sometimes I've had people come to me saying, we got to cut this feature, their favorite feature. They have to yeah. cut their own and they get nothing but support because I'm a former producer. I knew, right. you know, so very little self-deception. No, no, that's, you know, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I'm very proud of them for that. Very little self-deception. Yeah, we're honest people. We're honest and direct. That's who we are. And to that, I think one of the things that was, has been impressive throughout um, like playing through Hairbrain's games is that, one, they're very inclusive uh, in terms of Glad perspective and uh, the sort of options they provide for characters. Um, and that was reflected just down to like character selection and creation in Battletech. Yeah. Uh, and that's also reflected in the, in the team you have at, at, at oh, yeah. Hairbrain. We try. Um, and I guess the thing I'm curious about is there's a lot of places that say they're trying. There's a lot of places that, like, in an ideal world, would like to be more inclusive, more diverse, but yeah. just aren't. They don't yeah. pull it off. Yeah. Looks like Hairbrain has broadly succeeded in this. Like, what's the difference between, like, having good intentions and, like, falling short of them and yeah. doing nothing versus... I actually like, have an answer for that. Yeah. First of all... Uh, everybody pulls everybody else along. So if you want to be inclusive, we've some of the people we've hired actually are kind of experts in inclusivity. Yeah. Right. So now we bring somebody in who is actually, you know, uh, a member of an underrepresented. Uh, I don't want to use a minority. A group. Yeah. Group. An underrepresented group. And then luckily they know how to think about that. And the the secret of this whole thing is never thinking you understand. Never thinking you got it. It's, it's never the way it works. You're in a constant learning mode. You're in a constant growth mindset, right? And, you know, I fuck up all the time, yeah. right? And you don't apologize. You just correct your mistake and move on, right? Because yeah. nobody wants to hear your fucking apology. They just want it fixed. So that's how we do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's how you do it with a gray beard and stuff. It's just constant listening, and it's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Just adaptation, constant adaptation. Uh, to that point of the, the gray beard, yeah, yeah. Sure autumn being awesome. It comes up. But I think one thing that you, like, we see across a lot of fields is that you, have, you see a great deal of diversity in junior positions. Oh, yeah. When it comes time to, like, who is going to be in leadership positions. Who's yes. Going to allow, who's going to be allowed to manage. Yeah. Team. Suddenly, like, you see a lot more ho- homogeneity starting to enforce itself across a lot of different orgs. Yeah. Uh, like and I know guys, why, yeah. too. Because there's this unconscious bias. People who manage like me, I want to put in management roles. Right? Yeah. That happens, right? It's like, well, they talk like me, therefore they should be managers. Here's a great example of it. Uh, Ryan Burrell, who's the lead designer of, of this expansion, is dramatically different communicator than um, Connor Monaghan, who was the lead designer of our last one, Urban Warfare. Dramatically different people, dramatically different leaders, right? One is much more like me, sort of in your face and, and boisterous, and another one is simply thoughtful and calm and measured, right? And part of the secret is to understand that the person doing the promoting has to be self-aware of like, oh, I see, wait a minute. This guy's good. This guy's yeah. just as good. You got to, or this person's just as good. You got to give them a chance. So, watching that bias is a big deal, and uh, that's real hard. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it all comes back to the same damn thing: listening, listening, listening. You know, one of the things we're doing now at Hairbrained 
is really focusing on how different people communicate. Because if you're not a type A personality, you can get lost in the dust somewhere, feel like you're lost. And that's stupid. It's just dumb. And so a lot of times I, I say to somebody, to people, hey, we've got a Q&A, you know, ask me anything. But there are people that don't want to. I say, so put it in Slack. Yeah. Oh, wait. You don't want to put it in Slack because you don't want to be, you don't even want your name associated with the question. You just want the question. Send it to our, our chief operating officer and she'll give it to me with the names filed off. You know okay. what I mean? Just so that different communicators are able to communicate their way. You got to meet people where they are. And uh, that's been a big learning. Yeah. Well, that's tough, though, because, like, we do have this sort of culture of, like, we have a culture that rewards type A's. People who Microsoft, oh, my God. That's one of the reasons why I was able to rise so high at Microsoft, because they love type A's. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm pretty fucking type A. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... And that's where I learned to be really biased against people that weren't. Right. But at the same time, like, also just the way meeting dynamics are set up, like people who speak up, people who are... That's also, the, studies keep showing we don't actually process what people say. We just, like, how do they say it? That's what we say. Well, my daughter says there are two types of communicator, chewers and spewers. Yeah. Right? The one who's in VR now. So the chewers have to hit their hard drive. The spewers work in RAM. Right? Yeah. And so people who work in RAM, everybody thinks, wow, they're brilliant. No, they're just fast on their feet. It's a different thing. The people that hit their hard drive come up with, have you thought about these 12 things? No, right. you didn't. But how do you find those people who, like, they're not going to dazzle you in a meeting? In fact, they might even be shy. They might be a little, like, No, drawing. that's, you know, um, our, our uh, head of, was it, people and, damn, basically our recruiter. But it's more than that. Our, yeah. The person who recruits for our company takes a long-term view of the people we hire and stuff. And we, when we think of diversity... It's not just racial or cultural or stuff like that. It's also communication diversity, too. And it's just, you pay attention to it. Yeah. That's a, a job that, sorry, this is a retail thing because yeah. I used to be in retail. A job that's inspected is respected. You know, you focus on the thing, you can do the thing. You just have to pay attention to it and say this is important and be consistent with it. And then you get it. It's not that hard. Yeah. You just pay attention. You know, make it a conscious effort. The trick is not to sleepwalk your way through managing a video game studio. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, and we're back. Uh, so, Austin, before we get into heavy metal, uh, I did want to call attention to. I think it's. A, I enjoy how forthright Mitch is in a lot of places, and he's very off the cuff and very much somebody who is super into the same nerd shit 
that guys like us are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there, it was also very funny as we were talking about representation and diversity, uh, how as Mitch is sort of focusing on making sure that there's an inclusive culture. It's hysterical to me that also he cites two white male expansion designers that he's worked with right. on ongoing battle tech development. And I think it's kind of a revealing thing, right? Because there's a lot of people I think who who want to do the right thing, want to evolve their workplace in the right direction, but also when you're like, so who's in leadership positions around you? Well, the irony there for me is like there are people on that team that you can point to who are you know, who would who would fit the bill for diversity in leadership positions on that team, as far as I know. Uh Algernon Bolden is a black man uh who is who is like the lead uh programmer or, or lead engineer on Battletech. Uh and Kiva oh, I forget her last name, Magan. Kiva Magan was the was like the gameplay lead on that game. And like that that is a those are leadership roles in a real way. It was, she was lead designer and she's a trans woman. Uh, and it's like point to those people who are awesome and who I've seen you work with on stream before. Um, uh, so like you know, like you said, reveal revealing in some way, um, a little awkward maybe, uh, but you know. well, and I think it's, it's just very emblematic of the story of like why do well meaning institutions often fall short of diversity, right? goals because in the end a lot of times like unconscious bias is a real thing right Mm -hmm. like it is it is a very real phenomenon where people who genuinely and sincerely want change and want want improved representation within an organization when push comes to shove will put in the kind of leadership positions that will have enormous power for shaping uh, the direction of an organization or the yeah. direction of what it creates uh, will put familiar types of people and archetypes in those roles. And uh, it can be really frustrating to see there's there's always this emphasis on recruitment for diversity, but never a corresponding emphasis in career development for diversity. Right. right. Um, and I think that's just a, a broader problem. This is not, this is not a harebrained schemes uh, problem by any stretch of the imagination. I think this is an organization that does try to do this stuff right, but it is revealing because even there you encounter some of this phenomenon. Yeah. Um, the other things we talked about in that, in that interview is Battletech has this history of, like a lot of tabletop games, you have to keep expanding. You have to create a, cre- keep creating, here's the new shit, here's yeah. the new setting, here's the new story beat. And in the history of the tabletop game, everyone loves the clan invasion, but the clan invasion is also where the tabletop game starts getting really swingy. Lots of special rules start getting introduced, yeah. and they all have to play nicely with that bed of original game that it was built on. And as he was sort of unpacking stuff that's new in heavy metal, like a kinetic energy weapon that fast mechs run around and they charge it. Yeah. They charge up their, they charge up their weapon. They, they basically, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) sorry. It's a very goofy idea. I, have you used it yet? No. Oh, it fucking rules, dude. (laughs) 
Let me tell you about a fucking Jenner that can do 125 damage if you if you angle Jeez. it right. Excuse it me. Is it all direct rules. one area damage? It's a single hit. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a it's like a it's like a medium laser or something like so that. You can you know just what I mean? core someone. You would absolutely core someone. It is the the best version of this. Uh, I didn't so I put it on a Jenner because that's all I had available. But the assassin is like is like an assassin, right? So. Uh, uh, let me find what they, what's the assassin special ability, which we'll get to. There's all these things. Oh, assassin has a thing called the assassin internet uh, intercept system, which is able to ignore uh, a chunk of evasion pips generated by certain units. So it can just, it is an assassin. It's like meant to take out light mech units. And so that plus this coil weapon, which puts, puts out a ton of heat. If you do it for the hundred point damage or 125 point, hmm. uh, it's like, it basically is however it, the coil weapon does damage proportional to how many evasion pips you have. Right. So if you've if you have a character who has statted themselves in a way where they get extra evasion in a mech that's able to move a lot and move quickly, you could just do tremendous damage with this mm. thing. It generates a ton of heat, uh, and it is very goofy in the sense that it is very soft sci-fi. I don't know where that energy is coming from, but also <laughs> we're in 50, 100 ton battle mechs yeah. that n no one should fight with to begin with that are, that have PPC cannons that now have snub nose PPC cannons. I know that was a thing from the tabletop game, but it's so goofy <laughs> to be like, yeah, we just took the cannon and cut the end off of it. <laughs> It's very funny. Uh, just, it's, just a sawed-off PPC. It's a sawed-off <laughs> PPC, and it's more of a sawed-off PPC in Heavy Metal than it was in the tabletop games. In the tabletop game, it's basically like, I want a medium laser, but I don't want... I, I like PPCs better, so I'm going to take I'm a saw to this thing. Here it is at least, it does like splash day. It does like the... Uh, like a scatter shot effect, it can miss and hit something behind mm. them. It like literally is like six tiny PPC like mm. energy balls. It's actually really cool. Anyway... Going back to you, the, but, the the point you're making is these are goofy things that are hard to balance, right? Well, and not just that, but also like there's a certain – the first game you make, there's an opportunity for kind of elegance and simplicity there, mm -hmm. right? Where here is the core set. This is not only the thing that we're going to introduce, but in a lot of cases, the core rule set of a tabletop game is kind of probably the most considered or distilled version of that game. Right. You've cut away Maybe the things – yeah, I, I, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it comes up lacking. Like oh, I wish there was a little bit more to this. The design yeah. is is uh, doesn't have a lot of interesting points of interactivity between players, or doesn't necessarily have a lot of interesting choices for me to make. Maybe there's uh, kind of like a too optimized play, you know, strategy stuff like that can happen in a, in a version 1.0. But I think you're generally right that you're like in a good game. The 1.0, the first release, the the that barring for need for errata and and you know typos yeah. and stuff like that, the core design is functional. And even as more features are added, even if they serve a useful purpose, addressing a thing that was maybe left undone in the in the first version, a lot of times that also comes at a cost of just layering in new complexity or to the point about like the snub nose PPC, the idea of, well, it's the same thing functionally, but it's a little bit different, but it's mostly aesthetic just because you like this flavor of damage over this, this other one. Right. Um, and with heavy metal, I felt like here, ah, here's potential for this to start happening with Battletech. Cause I thought the world of Battletech 1.0. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the flashpoints were basically just chained 1.0 missions together into like sort of mini narratives. Yeah. I was cool with all that. With heavy metal, we're getting into new mechs, new weapon types like kinetic energy weapons. Uh, we've got mortars that do, do like mortars. just Those massive. 
They are. They do just massive AOE damage. Which is uh, not a thing that was really in this game before. I think the yeah. last update, um, Urban Warfare, technically you could think about something like AOE, but not really. Uh, the last the last update, the last big update included the thing where um, uh, stray shots would could hit things around them. Uh. And the reason that was important in Urban, Urban Warfare was if you fired a salvo of missiles and you missed the, the fast mech that you're aiming at, maybe they slam into the building behind the fast mech and bring it down. Or if if there are a lot of enemies clustered, there's a chance that that sort of spray of missiles ends up hitting bat, you know, people in the back. But that's incidental. That's collateral. That's not an AOE attack that you set up to be an AOE attack. The mortar is an AOE attack. <laughs> and the mortar in those urban environments that are now in the game will just demolish oh, buildings. It's sick. So, like... It is. Like, it's, it's, it's very much like, man, street fighting is difficult. It would be better if there were no streets. <laughs> and yeah. so it's 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 like Battletech, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now with war crimes. Now with <laughs> now with absolutely with war crimes. But uh, but it, but it, but it is a neat addition. But just looking at it, sort of from this position of simplicity or straightforwardness. I was. I'm also always waiting for that jumping the shark moment, yeah. right? Because there were moments with the BattleTech tabletop where you'd like, you'd see stuff implemented in the game when you realize that like, Goss rifles always had the chance to do a one shot headshot kill. That's it. Of just about any mech on the table, and the odds were long, but they weren't that long yeah. to get that <laughs> to happen. And once you realize that could just happen, it was kind of frustrating. And so, so I'm always kind of waiting like, you for think the. That's frustrating more than fun. In the tabletop setting, I think it is because there's setup time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. In the game, I don't know, man. Like, it's fun what happens to someone else. Ah, uh, see, I think it's still fun what happens to me. It sucks. I love it. <laughs> um, I it is it is like the core of this design for me is that you know one of the hundred. I it's not one of the hundred by the time you get up there in the levels, I guess. I guess that's mm. fair to your point is that like I do get a lot of head hits in the late game because enemies are stacked and are able to fly, like fling missiles at me. They don't really get the Gauss rifle that can one shot me, but they do have AC-20s and AC-20s can absolutely just wreck anything other than an assault, right? Yeah. Um, like that, that. Yes, but I guess that is the AC-20. So actually the AC-20 is a perfect example. The AC-20 was this like God tier weapon that had so many limitations in the yeah. original version of the tabletop game. Yeah. That like if you were carrying on the AC-20, you had a very few, you had very few shots with it and they needed to land because the opportunity cost for having an AC-20 was just so huge. And God help you if while you were trying to close distance with the AC-20, you get a crit on it and you're like, Great. Now just I guess I'll punch <laughs> I'll these guys punch, with yeah. this busted AC twenty. <laughs> totally. And the Goss rifle was comparatively light. And so it was like, what if an AC twenty could just hit you from farther away than a PPC? Yeah, it's a, it's the opposite of the snub nose PPC, right? It's the <laughs> yeah. AC twenty, but at range. It's it's the great. And so you know. I'm always waiting for Battletech to like jump this shark, right? Yeah. Where it's like everything's gotta be bigger, hit harder. Do you think heavy metal is doing that in a bad way for you? How much I, I guess um, I guess what is your experience with heavy metal? Can we actually set up what heavy metal? So I have not played too much. Okay. Like I, I, I restarted a campaign. Yes. Which is kind of a weird way to do this. I yes. also did that. How was your experience? It's probably a that? poor way to do this. 
Uh, I, you know what? I think it's a good way to to analyze where BattleTech is with all with the season pass. I think it's probably a bad way to evaluate just heavy metal. Mm. To evaluate yeah. just heavy metal, I had to do three different things, which was start a new campaign, jump into a career mode in the middle of a career, because all these expansions that they've done just slot into the game. They're not. Um, let me just yeah. set up what this is a little bit, and then and then I'll explain. The third thing I did was I picked up my post game from my my main campaign where everything's unlocked basically. The, these expansions this is the third one. There was Urban Warfare was the middle one. What was the first one called again? Was it just Flashpoint? Flashpoint. Flashpoint was yeah. just Flashpoint, right? Um, uh, each of them have added Flashpoints, which are these like mini special missions, often chained together as like a mini campaign chapter. Um, Rob, you should play the one in this because it, it, I haven't finished it yet, but I do think it's the thing you're afraid of happening is happening. That is going to be what Battletech 2 is. We're getting the clan invasion. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm up against Star League shit. I'm at the edge of the map. You think they're just going to skip fourth succession war entirely? They might, but like at the very least, at the very least, they're setting up that that is going to happen in whatever the next big thing is. Anyway. So they add these little mini campaigns. Um, they add new mechs. Uh, some new mechs get added in patches, but most of them come in these big expansions. They add new biomes. Flashpoints added jungles. Urban Warfare added urban environments, which are really distinct to fight in. And I think only really came alive for me in this set of, of content. They had new mission types. Uh, I think in general, one of the biggest changes between playing Battletech when it launched last year and now is way more one-on-one-on-one missions, way more three-sided fights mm. that are really dynamic and really fun. And a lot of, There's been a lot of me like maneuvering to try to get en- two different enemies to fight each other more than me. Or, like, these temporary alliances are like, oh, shit, like, we're a bunch of mediums and a heavy came on board. And it turns out that we, that my side and the other side, the, the third, the kind of third spoiler side, have targeted that heavy together or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That stuff has been really fun. Um, and then in this specific case, heavy metal, the big, the big stuff has been one new Flashpoint campaign, a bunch of new, like, random missions in the bucket of missions, uh, a lot of new events because you're, you're on this mercenary ship and you're going to and fro and they're like little events will pop up and then a ton of just new uh, mechs with unique abilities and unique equipment Hmm. um one i think that's interesting if you're an old school battletech fan is i think most of these are unseen uh which was a class of mech that i mean so if you're an old school battletech fan or you like like 80s 70s and 80s really just 80s uh mech anime um <laughs> a lot of these are just straight up from macross or from oh, dogrum that there's a look up the, the unseen in relation to battletech and basically what happened is in the in the 80s they licensed a bunch of these designs straight from a kind of like anime licensor and then found out maybe that licensing wasn't necessarily legit. It was complicated. And Harmony Gold, who has the license to Macross and refuses to ever put it out in a reasonable way in the U.S., only releasing Robotech instead, uh, uh, they there was a there was a settlement and they stopped using those designs. They stopped using those designs, uh, and now because of least recent legal stuff, a lot of those designs are back in. Some of them have been modified, uh, and so there's like a bunch of new mechs. They're not all heavies. I thought they'd all be heavies and assaults when this was first announced because it's called heavy metal. But there's like a light in here. There's a couple lights. There's a medium or two. Um, and the big thing is they each have a special 
mechanic. They each have one special piece of equipment that makes them more like Gundams in the sense that they're very specialized. Hmm. And they have that sort of like, oh, this is the one that does blank, right? So we already talked about the Assassin, which uh, has the intercept system that makes it better at attacking mechs that have high uh, uh, kind of evasion ticks on them. Like they, they have evasion, whatever, sh- chevrons. The farther your mech moves, it builds yes. that evasion tick. It makes it harder to hit. It makes it harder to hit. There's one, the Phoenix Hawk has a thing where like it can jump further and it can does more damage when it lands. Uh, so you're just hopping all over the battlefield. Um, the Vulcan is really interesting. One, it looks like a fucking linebacker. Uh, <laughs> if you were listening to the current Friends of the Table stuff, The Road to Partisan, it, I imagine that Memphis Longhand's <laughs> mech looks just like the fucking Vulcan. If you just heard me say the name Memphis, Memphis Longhand and you were like, I got to listen to that, you should look up Friends of the Table. Uh, the Vulcan does more melee damage and it has a thing where it's like the um all the support class weapons which are normally only things that fire at super close range get like 90 meters of extra range so suddenly like small lasers are pretty fucking good because they're pretty heat efficient and they do 20 damage and you can get into that range pretty quick um stuff like that there's a question yes what are are these all the heaviest class no that's what i'm saying they're all spread so like the assassin is a light mech the rifleman the phoenix hawk and the vulcan were mediums. It's like two, 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 and three or something like that. Hmm. Um, some of them are terrifying. Um, I've had to fight the archer twice, and each time it's fucked me up. The archer has a thing called the missile re- suite, which gives better damage from SRMs and then better LRM clustering. So, like, you know how the long range <laughs> missiles, long range missiles in this game do this, like, each one, each one kind of rolls a die to get a hit, right? right? This ensures that they tend to hit the same piece of the mech more often, uh, which means if you want to shred someone's arm off, you can do that in this mech. Um, And so there is feature creep. Like, this is, like, a bunch of extra... It's exactly what you said, Rob. Immediately thought, wait... So if you do a an arc shot, is are you aim, like going for the head basically? Like you could always do that. Remember that you have to target. You have to spend right. morale or whatever to do an individual target piece. But yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great. Oppor- I just mean like like when you would do it indirect, you it would go. It would instead of going straight, it would go up. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. come down. Yes. So like. There's what, like the shoulders and the head and like the head's the smallest. But. I don't think it targets shoulders head when you're doing the LRM over over a mountain or whatever. Mm. I think it's just targeting the front, but maybe I'm wrong. Huh. Rob? I, I feel like I can see the top yeah. down. I it feel does not like have a top that. down view. It does not. I, I put okay. like 25 hours into this. Right. I would be fucking up people's heads. <laughs> there is a height right, yeah. advantage that might do that. If you're if you're aiming down at someone actually that right. might do that. But I don't think the I think the LRMs do like a loop and then straight. Huh, um, okay. Otherwise they would be OP at that specific thing. Right. No, I think you get hit in the head a lot. So what the fuck do I know? <laughs> I am curious. So they, they tried. So 1.0 they were like LRMs might be too godlike. Yes. Which was putting it mildly because really quickly you were just like, put LRMs on everything, (laughs) knock them the fuck over, and then kick them while they are down. 100%. (laughs) Like basically it was just like one guy shoved somebody over. Yeah. And then the rest of the crew would just like run up on them. Uh huh. Um, Still a strategy. Still, yeah, I'm curious. Like the the does the archer bring that meta back oh, into dude, play? Where it's, it's like, well, what if you just hit them with a million LRs? Totally, a hundred percent. And but the thing is, like, I so I, I've played now the campaign from the jump, where most of the stuff only po- none of it pops up in the campaign itself. I've never fought one of these mechs in a campaign story, hmm. only inside. So they haven't like I don't think that they've reconfigured the main missions to account for these mechs. I don't think. Uh, maybe one snuck in and I didn't notice it. 
Um, the where I'm finding them is in the side the side story stuff and in the store, which is one of the other big changes. They filled the stores with just good end game stuff, uh, or or good stuff according to what the planet is, and they really turned up the dial on what you'll find. If you go to a planet that's like former Star League, you know, planet, you're gonna find Lost Tech there. You're gonna be able to find the like a Gauss rifle or or ammo for a Gauss rifle. Um, and it, it very much feels like it's settled in the place like MMOs do. We're like, all right, we're making this game for the people who are still playing Battletech. They lost the Gauss rifle. I want them to be able to get the fucking Gauss rifle back. That's what the build is. <laughs> this is where I um, – something I do kind of like. I contain multitudes. Yeah, I know <laughs> I said that like – too much complexity muddying up the clear relationships of the 1.0 version <laughs> is bad. But yeah. something I do like is that another thing that has happened is that there's so much more room now to specialize your mechs in ways beyond pure loadout, in yeah. ways that will like encourage different tactics. Uh, so... In the fiction, there was always this idea of you'd introduce, for instance, the concept of like, this is a command and control mech. Mm -hmm. But in the rules of Battletech, that is a meaningless concept. The command and control is the person pushing the little standees around the table. <laughs> like, that's command and control. There's no idea of a mech fulfilling that role. Yep. But now there's a lot more gear that you can put on that is not purely weapons that will have squad effects, will have individual mech effects, and might encourage you to experiment with different builds. One thing that I uh, grabbed pretty early, I found pr pretty early on, was I found a cool heat exchanger. That thing is dope. That cuts 10% of the heat output on weapons. What? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. A, it's not a, yeah, go ahead, Rob. A bog standard heat sink sinks three heat that's generated. Uh -huh. So there's a point where a heat exchanger is not worth it. And usually that's in the lower class, like lighter max. You're just not, the math is not going to work. But when you start getting into like the heavy mech territory, especially the ones that are like just laser boats, just tons of hard points for lasers, <laughs> suddenly that heat exchanger is doing the work that you would have had to have multiple heat sinks oh, shit. there to to deal with. And suddenly it's like, okay, an entirely different build is is open to me here. The way I manage heat can be different. Like at this point, it's not going to help with jump shots. Mm -mm. But if you just want to run up on somebody and hit them <laughs> with every single laser in the known universe, the heat exchanger's there. Yeah. Classic alpha strike. Classic alpha strike. Love it. Um, yeah, that stuff is great. Uh, the there's um, uh, stuff that does like extra, like a range finder that gives you extra view distance. So if you want someone who's basically a spotter for you, mm. put that on a light that can like draw. In fact, now there's like the the tag system and the narc system, which are two spotting tools, are both in the game. <laughs> tag is like a medium laser, but instead of doing damage, it makes it so that whatever gets hit by it gets 10% more damage from anyone who hits it Ooh. that round. So if you have like a light that's out of heat because it just blasted its coil laser or whatever, uh, the way I do, uh, you then can tag instead. And then that is suddenly this kind of command class mech that's all about raising the, or, you know, between that and having a rangefinder so it can see things far away to kind of target them for your, for your missile boat in the back. Um, all that stuff, I think, works to do exactly what you said, Rob, which is like it opens up the complexity away from just, oh, 
the you know I think about this game a lot as being hard to introduce people to because it's hard to communicate what makes a mech a mech because what makes a mech a mech in BattleTech and this is old school tabletop BattleTech is how many hard points it has uh, you know uh, what where those hard points are um, are they on the arms for extra stability are they on the body for not that um, <laughs> uh, how heavy is it uh, how how do you how can you kind of manage the weight it's kind of weight capacity with what its needs are for armor. Mm. You know, what, what really, what's, what really separates a shadow Hawk from a, from a Griffin. Right. And the answer is like, if you play this game, you can work out what that is, but I'm just showing it to a new player. Like these are two medium mechs. They got some shit on their shoulders. What do I, how do I differentiate that? Um, and so on one hand, you're right that it's adding a lot more complexity to where you could be like, if you're high level, you can start putting, uh, picking that stuff out. But what I like about the idea of these special mechs that have something built in is that when you see for the first time the Rifleman, which has a system called the Rangefinder Suite, which reduces long-range attack penalties and which extends its view distance, like, that's a sniper. That mech is right. a sniper. I'm going to put long-range attack stuff on this thing and make it be a sniper. I almost wish that some of that stuff in a Battletech 2, I almost wish some of that stuff would be, if not built into every mech, give every mech a cork like that, maybe. Uh at least be like, oh, this would be a place where you would put the rangefinder suite. This is a this is a great mech for a coil M or whatever it is. And I know that this stuff already says like skirmisher brawler. Like it already gives you like a breakdown of the way the mech is supposed to be used or whatever but these specific mechanical abilities help you conceptualize what those mechs could do on the field for you so well i really really like that stuff um i contain multitudes too but most of my multitudes are like yeah that rules put more <laughs> mechs in it i think something else as i come back to this and there's this new stuff um so I think actually a non-trivial thing. There is a lot more battle tech in this game yeah. than there was the last time I spent like serious time with it. There are a lot more maps. Yeah. It yeah. seems like it's pulling from different scenario setups that I've seen before. For instance, just before we recorded, I had a milk run. Uh-huh. Go so fucking sideways. <laughs> the dumbest reasons. So I had a mission where it was just like the free world league was like, go kill this diplomat. And I was, I Shout just got, and I the just, free world league. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this world is fucked. Anyway, continue. Look, we love sovereignty, <laughs> but not if, for everyone. You know how I feel about <laughs> autonomous nations, but, uh, so I take this assassination mission. This is literally right after you've done the pirate queen shit. And okay. this time they gave me two heavies out of the gate. Ooh. Uh, they gave me a centurion like okay. right away, which I like. And this was, I don't remember this being scripted, but it was Yang telling me that, oh yeah, aboard the Argo, we found the centurion. And I was Interesting. like, did I just get a centurion randomly last time? And I have no memory of it. Mm. I don't think so. Um, they gave me a, basically a, a stripped down, like centurion chassis, no weapons. And then I got, uh, the pirate queen's quick draw. So your first, your first like heavy. And I'm like, cool. All I've got is this easy mission to go kill this diplomat light escorts. I'm just going to wreck house here. And I set up my squad roll out and it's a mountainous jungle map. And so far so good. And then I see a fire starter. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then another fire starter. 
and then another. And it's all like the way I'm positioned, <laughs> I can't get any range. Like this entire thing, I've got this like sharpshooter so build for all my units. And we are fighting over these little ridges covered in freaking foliage. <laughs> and it's hot and the lasers are not efficient in this scenario. Yeah. And so it just becomes this nightmare of watching my brand new quick draw. I just waited in there. I was like, I am just going to wreck house among these, uh, among these light mechs. And I just got worked. Oh. Like they just all just set me on fire, heat spiked through the roof. And then they just started punching me. That's so funny. And so I watched my new quick draw Dude. literally had just finished being refurbed. <laughs> Just like arms being flung off, yeah, of like components going down, like watch all the jump jets like go away. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> this is not what I um, wanted. No. And, and it was all like, if you looked at the two lance compositions, like it was my four mediums and heavies versus like six lights. This should have been a milk run. Yeah. But instead it was all these fire starters just going ham. And then they were getting spotting data for two Panthers that just stood at a distance and just plinked PPC shots into my guys consistently. And I kept trying to go away, get away. I was like, okay, disengage, run, like pull back. But as long as they had line of sight, apparently PVC can hit you from effectively anywhere. Jesus Christ. It was so good. I am so, so angry. Good. Like yeah. I basically like the first mission with the new shit and my mercenary company is basically broke and two of my pilots can't work for the next three months. Right. They're just on their fucking asses costing, you know, and it costs money to keep those pilots around. Uh, and I do it because I'm a good employer. Um, <laughs> I hit a mission pretty early on, Rob. I think I may have messaged you about it, where it was a tier two mission or a two difficulty mission, uh, and it was a bit, it was like, hey, there, uh, you know what it was? It was like after the first or second major plot beat. I think maybe pre Smithen, but 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 post the the pirate. I have the Argo at this point. Mm. Random pool, you know, two difficulty thing, and. It was like, oh, there's some Torian terrorists on this on this planet. You know, can you just go take them out? They're at a base. And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. You go take them out. And they're like a couple of mediums and two, it's like two mediums and two lights. Um, and they're at a base on the like, let's say the east side of this map, right? Mm -hmm. Uh and on the uh, and I'm like moving in towards it, and then they're like, uh, you know, uh, Darius comes on and is like, uh-oh, commander. I'm like, okay, okay, D, what's up? What's happening? Why are you like this? And she, you know, he's like, Sumeray just noted, uh, we got some new new contacts off to the west. Uh, they're they're Davion. Like, okay, why are they here? And it turns out mm -hmm. they were bounty hunters hunting down the same terrorists for what the terrorists had just done off screen. And it was, suddenly there's a third faction here. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll go sweep out these shitheads. I'll turn around. If the bounty hunters want to fight, I can fight them. They land. And it is a thunderbolt, and I'm not. I have no. I have like one. I have a quick draw at this point, and that is it. I did not get a second heavy from that. The pirate queen, uh, and an atlas. They had an atlas, Rob. No. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> People listening, an atlas is an assault class, super heavy. Way too early to fight this thing. And a Thunderbolt is already going to push me. A Thunderbolt already is like a good mid-tier heavy mech. I love the Thunderbolt. I'll rock a Thunderbolt till I die. Fucking Atlas showed up, and I have like them mm -hmm. on my west, and on the east is, the and the, on the west they, were, they had this plateau. So I was like, okay. And then this was like a really interesting tactical puzzle for me. Because if I get caught in the middle, I'm getting pinched, right? But I also don't want to put them both on my front where they're turning around and punching me. And so I had to like 
use this plateau to lose sight of as many of them as I could, hold out for them to engage, and then sweep in behind the Atlas and just try to pop it from the back as hard as I could. It ended up being like a tough fight, but I ended up like making it work, and it felt so, so good. You got the Atlas with I got, that, with I got that one cup. part of the Atlas. I only got, I could not get the whole, I, would, I mean, we killed it. Oh, we, no, I mean, you killed oh, it. Oh, yeah, we absolutely like, killed it. That you won is... killed it. It was incredible. It was like... This is the re- – you have to understand, I came back to this game, I started playing the campaign feeling like, oh, poof, starting this game from the beginning again mm. is weird. Like, I don't have any of my toys. I don't have any of, like, the stuff my, – my characters aren't particularly good, so my hit rates are shit. Like, all that stuff that's like, uh. And then this mission happens, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm all the way back in. Like, this is the good <laughs> battle tech. This is mid-game battle tech. I have enough toys to play with. I have enough tools at my disposal to solve an interesting crisis. And this is a moment that I didn't happen the first time I played the game. So to your point, Rob, like, yes, Battletech as a game, I think, is in a really good point to play it as, like, from the from the jump in a way that it wasn't last year. I like that. That game was my game of the year last year. Yep, I think it's way too. stronger now as a product. It's also way more expensive right now if you wanted to buy everything with, these, with the DLC. Yeah. Um, but it's DLC I'm playing. I never play DLC. I'm the DLC mm-hmm. hater. I just, I can't get, I cannot do it. Like, I do not ever jump back into a game. Um, and this completely has me. Well, I think something that is going to serve Battletech well, I think, as it expands in this way, bearing in mind some of my reservations, yeah. is that Battletech is inherently kind of loose in a way a lot of tactics games are not. Like, playing this after a lot of Unity of Command in the last week. Unity of Command, it's not a puzzle game. You still have room to make mistakes and recover from them, but by and large, it is a game where you're like, that was a bad move, and I know I made a bad move, and now the game is going to wallop me for it. Battletech is a little bit more of um, an accretional process in terms of how battles go. Like, you can make a bad move and you will pay for it. But the point of having a battle mech is that it can absorb punishment for making bad moves. Right. You've just made an inefficient move and you'll, you'll pay in money and time to, to the point in your, in your review of the game, the fact that like you're watching money flaking off, you know, your, your mech, like yeah. mistakes are time and money. Yeah. yeah. But what you don't have is this like hard counter or one mistake is is guaranteed fatal or a disaster. Instead, what you have is battles that feel really like organic and rowdy, I guess is the way I'd put it. Like in the middle of these these giant like clusterfucks of a tactical situation, instead of sitting there being like, oh damn, what is the only way out of this? Battletech is kind of a game that encourages you to be like, you know what, fuck it. Everyone close and engage. Just beat the shit out of them. Yeah. Let's, you know, we'll we'll win it ugly. And that is not in fashion in a lot of tactics games, but my God, do I love it in Battletech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I think it is, it sits so differently in my mind um, amongst the types of tactics games I really love. Um, and I'm really happy to say a year on, it is a stronger game than it was then. I think right now there's a, the, a package where you can get all of the DLC for 30 bucks or something, Kato? Yeah, you yeah. You were just looking at it, right? Yeah, uh, until December 3rd, so. Okay, so when you hear this, you'll have you'll have you'll a couple have a days week. still. Um, um, but it's the whole the whole game, including all the DLC, is forty four ninety nine right now. That's a and good deal. just the DLC if you already own the base game is thirty three. Yeah, so. totally. I, I I feel like 
it's a it's in some ways is a tougher it's a tougher offer to make for people who've played all of this stuff to completion. Like if you got if you try to wring everything you could out of Flashpoint and Urban Warfare, Heavy Metal's good, but I don't, is it that good? I don't know. If you missed BattleTech or you only played BattleTech at the launch, getting all of this DLC produces such so many distinct new uh, environments to play in, so many new mission types that like I think that does add up. And I also uh, there are some small things that feel like the sort of balance changes that are really um, uh, clever in a sense. So like Urban Warfare, I think it was Urban Warfare, came with the Raven, which was the first um, of these mechs that has a kind of a built-in special system that had a, a kind of uh, like an ex electronics countermeasure thing that could kind of jam – it could hide all your mechs and it could keep you safe from – uh, uh, hide them all visually unless someone was inside of a certain cone or certain radius and made it harder to be hit by by uh, indirect fire in general or maybe even possible to be hit by indirect fire. Uh, except now there's mortars. So like having people put together in a tight space is just you're a walking target at this point if you happen <laughs> to come across a mission where someone has a mortar. Um, and that is a really fun balance change. Uh, I will say none of that stuff is in the Verses like they didn't put any of this new stuff in the verses, huh. which seems weird. I don't know if that's a balance thing or mm. what. Um, but I'm a little like eh on that. What were you gonna add there, Rob? I was just gonna ask, um, your feelings about the flashpoints overall because they keep adding more flashpoints as well. I like them, I me too. I like them, I miss the pomp of the main campaign a little bit. Yes, um, do you feel I the was same way? like, yeah, like. Seeing the open opening titles, which now call it BattleTech Restoration, yeah, um, which again I do not remember the game being called when it first launched. Right. Um, no. So I'm part of me when I see that I'm still hopeful that like, hey, maybe before we see BattleTech two, we'll we get, get something like BattleTech, the know. fourth Succession War. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the thing I dig about it is just the flashpoints. The whole conceit of there being like chained missions. Uh, is so valuable yeah. here because so much of Battletech is these one-offs and it's still great as a one-off. I find the flashpoints, what they add, is a harrowing element that was sometimes missing from Battletech where it's where it's like, okay, we got through that part <laughs> of the gauntlet, yeah. but now we have to get through the rest of it and I don't know how with how banged up these these forces are, how I'm going to do that. But sometimes it's really fun to have to like play it from that situation rather than always going in fresh with the mechs and mech warriors that you've rested and waited for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's totally accurate for my from for, for me too. Like I, I also think the thing the flashpoints add uh is choices, which is fun, right? Like, hey, do you I had one set of missions uh in a flashpoint that was um about helping a house Merrick um uh, you know, squad up against some Steiner stuff and and putting um like uh, uh artillery markers down and it was like a pretty fun mission. Um, uh, you know, it was like uh one of those missions where you had to be a little faster than what I'd I'd outfitted and I was like I don't know if I can make it across this this uh this map quickly enough. I have to get to these three points to drop these markers within 10 turns. And I'm really running assaults and heavies at this point. And even the heavy isn't moving as fast as I want. Um, and then halfway through the mission, these uh, house Merrick 
like um uh like military crew rolled in on my team and like totally pulled attention off of me and gave me the extra firepower to clear a route to get to the point literally with one turn left it was like oh man this is fantastic love it and then that mission wrapped up and then you know go back up to space and the third flashpoint thing kicked off which was like you know it's been a day or two and those same soldiers that i would had been teamed up with are now in the shit being pursued by house steiner and house steiner is offering me money to stay out of it and they're like you know what you don't have any, you know you just let us d- deal with this maybe we'll give you another opportunity to to make it right by us because you just hurt us as a mercenary group uh or you could go help the the crew that had just helped you but for like no money and it was like, all right, well, they pulled me out of the shit. I'm going to pull them out of the shit. You know yeah. what? Darius, fire up that leopard. Let's get down there. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna save their asses. And I did, and it felt good. And then, and then also you get loot because that's the other new thing that the Flashpoints added is when you finish a Flashpoint, you get basically a loot box. Like that feeling of like a, a fancy, you know, graphic plays and, a, and a, like a hanger door opens, a graphical hanger door opens, and inside is a giant... The Fabergé like, Overlord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and inside you get like a part for a heavy mech and a cool gun. And you're like, yeah, okay. Works for me. Works for me. I think... Something else with the with the combination of campaign content, flashpoints, and then I think it was already part of the sort of the subtext of the campaign, but then there's, there's also all these additional missions that pop up on the market. It feels like at this point they've done a very good job of creating a fictional universe of mercenary work. Yeah. And in the first game, it felt just kind of like conceit where really you were just trying to, you know, money in, money out, make them, make them balance. That was kind of the name of the game. Now it feels a little bit more like I do have relationships with different factions yeah. and those do become an asset because there's places I'm going to want to shop and there's places I'm going to go to kick ass and those <laughs> might be two different places. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of like sketchy mercenary work that you're getting from like weird randos out there. The states do tend to pay a bit better, but they tend to ask harder jobs and there is a meaningful difference. Like they, they seem to have done a good job of when you are told like, oh, that is a great house mech lance that just deployed. Chances are you're about to encounter a real force yeah. of mechs, not broken down like pirate mechs or anything, but like people in better shit than you've got perfectly maintained. Damn. And you realize like, oh, damn, like. I'm playing a lot of this game on a slightly easier setting just by virtue of like fully repairing my max. Now I'm facing the varsity. Yeah. I love that stuff. I also think like the new events have all been really good. The kind of random events that pop up on the Argo as you move around the systems, you know, a famous mercenary group uh, is trying to like headhunt one of your, one of your pilots. Like, all right, do you, do you and it's gonna like basically offer you payment for taking them away from you? Like, do you take that payment? Do you send them off in good spirits? Do you tell them to rethink it? Love those little those little moments. I still wish there was more. This is like my biggest yep. request for Battletech Two. I want Valkyria Chronicle style quirks and and like uh, aspects to these to the my pilots. I want my pilots to not just be. And there are a little bit of that. Like you'll occasionally get a thing where it's like, oh, this pilot is a technician, which means there's a better chance for them succeeding at this random event or whatever. But I want pilots to have like characteristics. I want a certain pilot to be really good with PPCs and be able to keep a little bit of heat off that PPC for some reason. You know, stuff like that. Um, but I still think with these events, I I feel tighter with the, with this crew than I did with my starter crew. I feel like there is a, even a little bit more character because they pop up more often, and, and it's not the same. You know, 25, 30 events. It's another thirty events from all of the different expansions at this point uh it's good 
And that's in like. I the am also trying game. to role play a little more. Oh, are you? Welcome, welcome to to my I, heart. <laughs> my new Mac, my new Mac pilot yeah. is from the deep periphery. Ooh, okay. Goes by the call sign Ghost. Mm. Mm-hmm. But he's disgraced and on the run. Okay. Because he's perhaps a little too puckish, a little too insouciant, and so Ghost last name Bear B A Y E R. Ah, okay. Uh, hmm. is just out there running around the inner sphere, just doing mercenary jobs, looking around, seeing what's what. Just seeing what's what. Just um, trying to get a, just trying to get a, a sense of the thing, which is perfectly, mind you, in the fiction. Uh huh. A group called Wolf's Dragoons shows up in the middle of the inner I'm, sphere yeah. with a shit ton of mechs out of nowhere. Yep. One of the mech warriors with them, Natasha Kerensky, shares a name with a famous, like, every child knows this general's name. Yeah. A general who left the inner sphere in the wake of their great apocalypse and was never heard from again. This group shows up from the same direction and are like, hey, what's up? Uh, we're just here to take mercenary work with all the major political actors in the inner sphere. And uh, this is our associate, Natasha Kerensky. No, no relation. relation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone's uh, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, Definitely. That there's up. nothing weird about Wolf's Dragoons. God, it's so funny. So, yeah, I mean, I, what I will say is I'm based on the stuff I've already seen and some some murmurings. I do think that heavy metal is going to include a pretty heavy clan invasion nod um, and set that set that up. People want it so bad. And I think you're right that it could go bad because to it's like one of those things where, like, do you respect the fiction or do you respect the gameplay balance? And if you respect the fiction, there should be no gameplay balance. Like when <laughs> when the clans invade, it is a fucking stomp. Um, they have better shit. They have they have a better shit and a culture built around using that better shit. Um, and I'm curious how to tell that story. I think there's I think there's a, a lot of cool ways to tell that story in a in a tactics game. Like you've written before, Rob, about about the ways in which uh, kind of real time strategy game levels can tell stories by putting you in various positions of power and, and disempowerment. I think you can do that in a tactics game. I think it might be a hard pill to swallow if you are playing as someone from one of the successor states or a smaller power caught in the middle or whatever it is. I think it'd be a really tough one, but I, I would love to see them try it if that, you know, if that makes sense. I think what, the reason I'm really keen to see Fourth Succession War yeah. um, because I know everyone's chomping at the bit for the clans. They really are. The clans are one of those end of history threats that are really frustrating. Like, just it's we have to get all the forces on yeah. the same side. Now we're now we form the Grand Alliance. Yeah, and, and it's so easy uh, to imagine it's a video game. That's the thing, right? You could imagine that game happening. Right. the The narrative itself felt like a video game. Yeah. It felt very um, God. And then the hero's journey is the one dude is captured. It's basically Call of the Wild, but with Max. Yeah. The 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 one kid from uh, the Kellhounds is captured in the first engagement. <laughs> mm-hmm. And rises from a slave to Khan of the Wolf Clan. <laughs> yeah. And just just because he's so badass and uh, his dick's so good, apparently, is the... <laughs> that is... That, that's, listen, that's the stack pole. <laughs> this, is, this is what you got to live with when you're reading 1980s tabletop game tie-in fiction. But what interests me about doing Fourth Succession War instead is... 
it feels to me like Hairbrand is going back, the people working on Battletech, and sort of questioning the way a lot of things were portrayed in that fictional universe. The, the great houses all seem a little more self-serving, a little nastier uh, than they're portrayed in the novels. Life on the periphery is seen as maybe not the sort of benighted uh, hellhole that was portrayed in a lot of the original source books. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are like valuable things and experiences out there in cultures. And I would be really curious to see them revisit the Fourth Succession War, which is basically the story of like, what if Bismarck was good? Like, what if he was really good and like sort of the Blitzkrieg campaigns against uh, like Austria and France were were totally just and good. Um, and we were happy that basically the, the sort of uh, militaristic fascists won. I'd be really curious to see them approach that source material from the direction they've been approaching Battletech this whole time. Yeah. Right. Like how does how does that story look? From the perspective they've adopted for a lot of Battletech. Which is which is a, a perspective that sees the great houses, the great successor states as being terrifying with the amount of power that they can bring to bear, indifferent to the lives of individual people unless they're well-connected. Uh, and, and fundamentally, whatever their ideological differences are between themselves, invested in the status quo writ large that allows them to maintain all of the power. Um, you know, that... That first game is also about reinstating a monarchy. Uh, yeah. So like, there is a degree of like, I'm curious. I am. It's why I'm curious and not and not just confident. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there could totally be a version of that story that is just like hoorah. That is just like the they are billions campaign. Uh, that's the nightmare version of it. I think enough of the the content um, is good, and enough of the, the enough of the team is diverse. Right. That that I do have. I I do lean towards confidence that they could do the fourth succession war really well and, and find a perspective on it where even if they have to keep the can the canon events the same, you're seeing those events from a different perspective that that kind of shines a light on yeah. what is actually transpiring because maybe the player of the game doesn't have to just be someone who wants to project themselves as the hero of all time into it, you know? Yeah. And certain ideas of what strength looks like. You're just a humble mech commander. Ah. Uh, Showing up and be like, hey, where you want these mechs? <laughs> God. Uh, we should note real quick, I guess, before we wrap up, that tomorrow – no, not tomorrow. I don't I don't know when this is going up. I don't know when this is – I don't know. Sometime, this is today. This is today. Okay. So then sometime ne- next two weeks, three how, – how far away is it? Ba- Mech Warrior 5 is supposed to happen sometime in the future. We're supposed to start playing that game sometime in the future. Imminently. Imminently. I'm so curious about that game, Rob. How are you feeling as we go into Mech Warrior Five? The fact I have no feel for what this game is going to be um, makes me apprehensive. When yeah, I would Mech say Warrior? I am not sanguine, Austin. Yeah, yeah, Kato. When did the last Mech Warrior even come out? Mech Warrior Four Mercenaries would have been okay. Wait, you're not counting online. You're talking no. about like full single player yeah. campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Was this really the last one? Was this really the last single player Mech Warrior, Mech Warrior game? Because it feels like it's been. How long do you think it is? Was that even this decade? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, all right. I'm going to say 2001. You're damn close. 2002. Was Mech Warrior 4. 
MechWarrior Online. It's no, also the same uh, year that the MechWarrior Dark Age tabletop uh, clicks game came out. Nice. Yeah, there was probably a big push around it, right? Yeah. 2013 was uh, when MechWarrior Online came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game's all, been all right, and it's those developers, I believe, who are, who are working on this, Piranha Games. Um, they're using a different engine. They're using Unreal instead of using CryEngine, so they're not just like porting over stuff, mm-hmm. um, as far as I know. Um, and uh, it has been... It's an Epic Games exclusive, an Epic Store exclusive, huh. like Shenmue 3. That's a joke that's not going to land until, <laughs> until Friday or yeah, Thursday or whatever. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, I just want Rio to be in a mech. I just so badly. <laughs> Do you know where I can find some PPCs? Um, the Have you seen the clanners? <laughs> the clans. What do you know about Kerensky? Um, the <laughs> I just love his affect list completely. Oh God! The um uh that game, I was really excited for that game last year or two years ago when they announced it. I think, and it was supposed to be coming out last holiday. I was like, yes. Uh-huh. Then it was supposed to come out this spring. I want to say, and I was like, cool. Uh-huh. And now I'm like. MechWarrior 5 coming out in December. It's coming out in December of this year, I think. <laughs> I think it will. It's so close. They did an AMA, and that AMA went weird because of the Epic game stuff. Mm. Um, and people are pissed about that. Uh, people have been skeptical. Like, they really liked some of the early footage. And then I think recent footage has been like, oh, I don't like the UI, etc. Then And also, they kind of went radio silent. There just wasn't any PR for this game for months. There just wasn't anything big and like juicy and then last week they released like a five minute walkthrough video oh. um that's just like it was actually less than that it was four minutes because it is the most condensed four minutes i've ever seen <laughs> um and also like the audio isn't that good in it it feels kind of like rushed and real like mm. it's one of those things where like the audio isn't compressed and sound removed you know what i mean <laughs> right. um which is not a drag but it is one of those things that produces an effect where you're like oh we're moving through a lot of stuff really quick i'm i'm not really getting a lot of an- questions answered necessarily these mechs look cool. I like being in this big mech hangar. That's cool. Nice. Um, but I don't know what it's gonna. I don't know what it's gonna feel like. I don't know what it's gonna be. You know. So uh, there's a big map, and it feels like at this point we should have an idea. That's what it is. I want. I want the hour long video by now. That's the thing I want. Is like here is the fucking game. Here mm-hmm. is what it is like to be a mercenary mm-hmm. in the world of of BattleTech slash Mech Warrior. I think the map looks dope. I think the idea. It's like. That it's the same basic pitch of being a mercenary commander. Um, could be really, really fun. Um, I, I hope things feel weighty. I hope things feel like uh, the the combat is interesting and not just kind of like point and shoot because that's one of the things that was so unique about the MechWarrior games, you know, forever is the sense of scale, the sense of, of um, permanence to the combat in those games is so unique. Uh, even in the multiplayer stuff, it's so fascinating to play a multiplayer game where you're in a gunfight and then your solution is like to back the fuck off and let the people behind you charge forward a little bit so you can get some of the heat off of you both literally to cool down yourself yeah. and also so people aren't pointing guns at you anymore um, there's such a different vibe and, and that actually comes through in the tactic in Battletech as a tactics game for sure um, where you're like oh my god I gotta this my core is orange I can't <laughs> You go hide behind that hill and just lob LRMs at these people. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'm fingers hopeful. crossed. I'm saying, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. I want to see this game. I'm excited to beat a mech. 
Austin Walker, 2019. Do you have to put a year right, on that? Austin <laughs> Walker, 2019. <laughs> Running for office, for Mac office. <laughs> Said I wasn't going to do it. Dress for the job you want. Yep. Austin puts <laughs> on a giant neuro helmet. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to get those good contacts. All right. You have to. Uh, I think that will do it for this edition of Waypoint Radio. Uh, be sure to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. I think we're a five-star podcast, but uh, that's for you to say. You'll get to decide, just like we're going to decide about that BattleTech game. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to make some. We're gonna have to face some hard truths. Think hard about how we how we feel about these things. I think we'll get there. You can follow everything we do on Twitter at Waypoint, and find our website at waypoint.vice.com. I'm going to be saying that forever, right? That's that's basically it. I'm just it never going to learn redirects. our actual URL. It redirects. Our actual yeah. URL is bad. That's true. That's true. Vice.com slash en underscore us slash games. Nope. You're wrong. That's rough. Section slash games. Not slash gaming. Section slash gaming doesn't exist. Good. But vice.com slash gaming, it will take you to the ta- the topic gaming uh, which is different than the topic games. Yeah. Because Vice's CMS is like that. There's no easy fix. Uh, you can find, follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Austin, where can people find you? Austin underscore Walker. Ricardo. At A underscore Cotto underscore appears. And our theme music was the track Miss You by Bowen off the EP Pale Machine. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. Uh, we'll have another episode of Waypoint Radio later this week. I think we are do, we are dipping into the question bucket for Thanksgiving. Uh, but in the meantime, continue to question the neoliberal consensus. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Good. That's my call to arms for 2020. Love it. Hey, I'm not saying we overthrow it. Yeah. I'm just out here asking questions.